first verse. It was about this time that King Herod was, or King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Just like that. That is James. That is one of Jesus' inner circle of three that were particularly close to him, that witnessed things that the others did not witness, and he's gone. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. And this happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. That meant execution. That was not going to result in anything other than execution. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison. And here's the, here's the phrase. And I'm going to say this so many times in the next three hours that you're going to be absolutely sick of hearing it. Here's the phrase. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Peter was in prison. But the church prayed. To be continued a little bit later on. This is the common posture for the church. Excuse me, we're doing new things. It's the common posture for the church in the book of Acts. Herod killed James. Herod put Peter in prison. But the church prayed. What's going to happen next? What's the end of the story going to be? You cannot read the book of Acts and read about the early church without being really, really impacted by the sheer amount of time those people spent in corporate prayer. Over and over again. Private prayer and private devotion is incredibly important. It is essential for walking with God. In the book of Acts, when we read of prayer, a lot of the time it is corporate. It is people praying together, seeking God together. I don't know about you, but I think the church sometimes can drift. I think lots of things in life can drift. I have an interactive whiteboard in school, and it drifts, which means when it's been unused for a long period of time for the purpose that it was designed for, you've got this little pen, and if you, if you put the pen on the board here, the line actually appears over here because it has drifted. And whenever something drifts, whenever my whiteboard drifts or whenever a piece of, some other piece of equipment drifts, it needs recalibrated. It needs to be recentered again. You go through a little process with the whiteboard where a, an X appears in each corner and you go and you touch the X in each corner with the pen and then it readjusts itself and it is recalibrated again, refocused, recentered from the drift that it has been on. And I think that the tendency of the church is not to drift towards inactivity. I think the church in 2018 doesn't really drift towards inactivity. I think the church in 2018 drifts towards what I would call prayerless activity. Prayerless activity. 
Lots of stuff. But it is not covered and soaked in prayer. And one of the things that God has been, I think, saying to me lately is, is the need to just recalibrate, recenter, and to some extent remember where we have come from, what is important to us, where we want to be, how things have happened in the journey so far. Samuel has a habit of getting into my car, taking my phone and putting music on. For those of you that have influenced his musical choices, I will deal with you at a later stage. But I also influence them a little bit. And uh, sometimes we just dip into some, some big hair 80s <laughs> pop and rock music. And there's some really catchy beats in those songs. I've got a photograph for, for some of you to see here. Um, so so that's, uh, that's me and Alan and Linda back in the... <laughs> uh, does anybody know these guys? No, because they had one song. <laughs> they had one song in 1985, but you'll be able to complete the line. And he was listening to this song in the car yesterday. And I thought... I thought that's a good point, actually. The rest of the lyrics in the song make no sense at all, but I thought that's, that's a good point. The song says, Don't you remember we built this city on rock and roll? <laughs> the rest of it's madness, but... And I thought, as I was thinking through this, I thought, Don't you remember, church? What did we build it? I'm taking them away because they're a distraction. <laughs> Hard to believe people once looked like that. It's probably an argument for evolution. <laughs> you like that? Um, don't you remember? We built this church. We built this ministry on what? What did we build it on? Where did we come from? Table was born in prayer. It was born in hearing God. It wasn't born in hearing other people. It is born in hearing God, particularly for Linda and I at a time in our lives when we tried to retreat a little bit because we were, we were just very busy. And God spoke. He said, he gave, you know, he said get, get back out there again. It was born in prayer. We need to remember the journey we are on. We need to remember the things that are important to us. That's why the values are on the wall. We have to keep going back and remembering what it is that defines us. Back in probably 2014, 2015, we were seeking God about this. And there are lots of things that he put into our hearts as being important, as being things that, that, would, that should define us, things that are foundational for us. And one of the things that we used, one of the phrases that we used to use back then a lot was the phrase praise, truth, and friendship. Praise, truth, and friendship that those things were vital for a community of faith. And I would hazard to suggest that probably anyone who has come in here, maybe even in the last six or eight months, those three things have probably struck you as being quite important to us. Praise, truth, and friendship. And if any one of those was taken away, you would notice it missing. You would notice its absence. Table was born in prayer. When God spoke and said, I believe he said to, to us way back then, he said, build me a worshiping community. That came in prayer. 
It didn't come in us saying, God, what sort of community do you want us to build? God, do you want us to build? It came just in seeking God. And this phrase kept coming again and again and again. Build me a worshipping community. Whenever we actually came and started to meet in the town, we preceded that with nine months of walking the streets and praying on the streets. And I can remember various conversations that I had with people. There were two girls that I met one night up the street and they were asking me what was going on in the building that we were using at that time. One of them, I'm pretty sure, is now at Table Tots, at least one of them. And, and I said, well, it's, it's church, it's a group of Christians, and explained a wee bit about what we were doing. And they were really interested. I thought they'd be bored and they'd, they'd walk off, but they wanted to talk about it and they wanted to ask about it. And I remember after they went away thinking, God, that was a really easy conversation. It was really easy. I didn't have to sort of force that on them. They wanted to know a little bit. And I remember really feeling as if God said to me, that is because you have prayed on this very pavement, footpath that you're walking on. You've prayed on the very paving stone that you stood on when you had this conversation. You have prayed on these streets You have prayed in the housing developments that those girls live in. You have prayed in this town. And therefore, whenever you encounter people, you will have my favor. You will have my favor because you've covered the place in prayer. I remember speaking to a guy one night in the pub. And it was quite, you know, if you've been around for a while, you've maybe heard me tell you this. But he's, he's, he's now left the town, not of his own choice. And... Quite a lively, well-known character. And he was at the bar one night and he was rolling up cigarettes. I was talking to the guy behind the bar about having an acoustic concert on the premises with a Christian singer-songwriter. And this guy was just sitting rolling up his cigarettes and obviously listening to me. I went and sat down with you know, my bodyguard and, and protector, Ashley, and <coughs> continued to, to have a chat. And the guy came over and tapped me on the shoulder and said, come outside, I want to talk to you. And I don't know what that's like in Brazil or what it's like in England, but in Northern Ireland, it makes you just mildly concerned. (laughs) Okay. And I went outside and spoke to him. And just to let you know, um, I don't like maligning Ashley when he's not here, but it was probably a full 20 minutes before he came out to see if I was okay. (laughs) And I spoke to this guy and he, he wanted to know what we were doing. He was really interested. And I asked questions about it. And I, and I said, we, we, at the minute, we've nowhere to go. We've, nowhere, we've no sort of location. And he started, he was on in his drinking a bit, but he was still coherent. And he, he described, he said, there's places here and there's places there. And, and, and don't go to that particular place. And, and I couldn't believe it. And again, there was, just, there was favor. There was blessing on the conversation. Someone that I probably would never have connected with, would never have just walked up to and started talking to. But God blessed it. And he's done that again and again and again because the place has been covered in the past with prayer. Table Fridays started with prayer. Not with prayer about how should we reach young people. Just generally praying and suddenly an idea came and we went with it. Prayer is one of the things that defines us. Is one of the things that is foundational for us. And we must not drift from it. It was great to have a communion meal last week because communion meals defined us. And then for a while, we just sort of got too busy and, and, and didn't really bother to, to organize one and do it. But it was so good to sit together again around food 
and not rush away. It was precious. Loved it. And this is from, for me and probably for a lot of families and parents and maybe, maybe a lot of people just in general. This time of year feels like New Year. Jan- January, you know, New Year's Day and all that. But September, everything's starting back. Kids are starting back into their routines. And this feels like the start of a new season. And it's a time when you, you sort of think, you seek God and you, what, what is the theme? What is the, what's the driving verse, phrase? What, what is it that you want me to hold on to in this season? And I feel he has said to me over and over again lately from John 15. In John 15, Jesus talks about being the true vine. And he says to the disciples, without me... You can do nothing. Nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. Our drift, if we drift towards prayerless activity, without him, we can do nothing. Whatever ministry you're involved in, whether it's here or somewhere else, whatever it is that is in your heart, and you maybe mentioned it on Monday night, something that you'd really love to see birthed and started, without him, we can do nothing. And he goes on in that passage, Jesus goes on to say about fruit that will last. Not just fruit, but fruit that will last. If we want to see fruit that will last, we must do it from a posture of prayer. Because it's possible to produce a degree of fruit that is short-lived. I want to produce fruit that will last. I want to produce something that will stand the test of time. And God births and he starts things that will last in the hearts of people who know what it is to abide in him. Who know what it is to seek his face. In Acts chapter 12, James is dead. And Peter is in prison, but the church prayed. This is one of my favorite quotes about prayer. It's from a Swiss theologian called Karl Barth. And he says, and this is fighting talk. He says, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. Don't ever think that prayer is some small token thing that we do because Christians do it. It is war. It is battle. Sometimes people come to Linda and I and very kindly say, can we do anything for you? Is there anything we can do to help you out? What you can do, you can do lots of things to help us out, but one of the things you can do to help us out is clasp the hands in prayer and go to war. Go to war. Start an uprising. Start a revolution against the disorder that is in people's lives. In Acts chapter 2, the church is birthed in prayer. In that upper room, 120 people are praying. They are scared. Jesus has gone. And they don't know what to do next. And they are not welcome in that city. But they are praying. And as they pray, the Holy Ghost comes upon them powerfully. In Acts chapter 4, if you go to, if you're in Acts 12, turn back to Acts 4. I think it's one of the greatest portions of Scripture about corporate prayer. It's, it's the first attack on the young church. 
It's the first time whenever Peter and, uh, Peter and John have healed the man at the temple. And the church is being persecuted. They go to prayer in Acts chapter 4 verse 21. They don't contact their MP. They don't start an online petition. They don't moan and gurn. They go to prayer. That's their instinct. Not last Christmas, but the Christmas before, there was a, a local ministry which has a global impact and they were attacked on Facebook. Um, you might remember it. It was, it was one of the most farcical, stupid things you have ever seen a church or a ministry being attacked for. It was to do with a doll in a charity shop. And somebody didn't like what happened to the doll and started a vicious attack on this ministry. And I remember what their response to it was. Because it was there the night they did it. They called people together in a big front room of a big house. And they had a time of prayer and praise. They didn't moan. They didn't gurn. They didn't draw up a letter of how to respond. They just got together and they prayed. And they put the whole thing before God. And that's what the believers do in Acts chapter 4. It's a rowdy, energetic, loud prayer meeting. And they start off in verse 24 saying, Sovereign Lord. They start off their whole focus is on who they are praying to. Almighty God. They pray the word back to him in verses 25 and 26. These people know the word of God. And they use the word of God in their praying. Do you know the word of God that you're not wasting time praying things that are contrary to his very clearly revealed will and purpose? They know the word of God. They're in tune with God's will because in verse 29, they, they ask that he would enable them to speak his word with boldness. They don't ask for protection. They don't ask that the opposition will stop. They ask God for more and more courage. More and more boldness to speak his word. Retreat was the last thing on their minds. And look at verse 30, what they pray for. They say, stretch out your hand to heal and to perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They pray for signs and wonders. They shamelessly lay hold on God and say, God, move in miraculous power. We need power. That is their prayer. That God will show up and do things that will draw attention to King Jesus. And that is the pattern so many times in the book of Acts. Miracle, crowd, sermon, salvation. God stretch out your hand in miraculous signs and wonders. And then the place shakes in verse 31. I sometimes wonder, have Christians got a little label on their back, like a medicine bottle that says, shake well before use? Does God sometimes need to just grab us and give us a good shaking to wake us out of our lethargy? The place that that will happen is the place of prayer. Nowhere else, nowhere else can he get hold of us and shake us in that way. The prayer is one of complete dependence on God. Something I started doing about a year ago, every Sunday morning, I am, I never finish a sermon, ever. I never sort of walk away thinking, I have finished writing my sermon, 
It's a problem. I'm trying to deal with it. One of the ways I'm dealing with it is at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning, I come in here. I go to the spa on the way up and I get a latte. It was free this morning because I've bought that many. And I come in here at 8 o'clock and I don't bring my notes with me. I don't bring my laptop or any other. You don't bring anything with me except my Bible. And I come in and I pray. And it is my way of declaring to God, without you, I can do nothing. I could sit home for another hour and I could, you know, go through another few books and write in another few things and read over it another few times. But I want to be in a position of saying to God, nothing's going to happen without you. Nothing. And I I commend that practice to every single ministry in this place. Before you do anything, pray. Pray. Did that a a week or two ago. We were meeting and we were planning something for for the year ahead. And we we said, right, first 15 or 20 minutes, let's just pray. And and in your sort of natural thinking, you, you think to yourself a little bit, but we've got so much to do. And if we take 15, 20 minutes to pray... You know, the whole thing's going to run on longer, but I I would sort of make the case if we take 15 or 20 minutes to pray, we will think sharper, our ideas will be better, our communication will be better, we'll probably get the job done quicker. But can we start things with prayer? Start by just bringing it before God and saying, God, will you give us wisdom in this? Will you show us what to do in this? Will you speak and will you guide us and direct us in this? I don't know what you're currently doing for God. I do know for some, obviously, but if you can keep on doing what you're doing without Him, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. If we could just pull God's presence and pull His Spirit completely out of a ministry and it would just keep on rolling business as usual, there's something really wrong. You should be out of your depth. You should be out of your depth. I have lived half my life out of my depth. I keep finding myself in scenarios and wondering why on earth am I here? I can remember working for the exam board down in Belfast on the senior team for about six years and sitting in a room with you know PhD, 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 guy flying over from England because he has such expertise and I'm sitting there thinking, why am I here? I am out of my depth. I'm out of my depth in so many contexts of life and it's a wonderful, glorious place to be because you cannot survive without prayer. Ezekiel saw that river flowing from the temple and and he he initially could stand in it and then it was up to his knees and then it was up to his waist and then he was just carried along out of his depth and could only stay afloat if the Spirit carried him. We need to be out of our depth to rely on God. God. Let's make that our practice every time we come together to do something that somebody just says, hang on, let's pray. Let's bring this all to God. If you're in Acts 4, turn over to Acts 6. Again, do you see the importance of prayer? I'm just going to point a few things out. I'm not going to stay long in these, in these passages. But in Acts chapter 6, there, there's a, an issue in that some of the widows who were being who were coming for care, were being overlooked and weren't receiving food every day they, would have, they should have been. It says in verse, 12, or verse 2 sorry, of Acts chapter 6, the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, 
We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This is good. This is important. This needs to be properly taken care of. But we need to pray. And we're not going to fill ourselves with such business and activity that we are taken away from the ministry of prayer. I was chatting to, to Marcus the, the day that he was, or the couple of days that he was here in the middle of August, and just chatting a little bit about some of the stuff that he might be getting up to. And I said to him, I want you to pray. I want you to make sure that in your daily schedule, it does not become so full that you don't have time in quietness and in privacy and in solitude to get before God and pray. Whether that's here or at home, but I think that's a gift as a church that we must give him that he has time to seek God. Because without God, he, we can do nothing. In Acts chapter 10, there is a massive shift in where the gospel is going. Because previously the gospel has only been brought to Jewish people and brought to a few Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. But in Acts chapter 10, there is a massive shift in direction. Absolutely massive. The gospel is now going to go to non-Jewish people. The gospel is now going to go to the Gentiles. And it says in in verse 9 of Acts chapter 10, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He went up on the roof to pray. And you probably know the story. God showed him a vision, had to show it to him three times before Peter got it. But the point I want to make is, Peter was in the posture of prayer whenever that came. I don't read that he was praying where to go next with the gospel. I don't read that he was praying, God, should we bring the gospel to Gentiles? He was just praying. And because he was praying, he was available. You know the way you open WhatsApp and you go to write a message to somebody and it it comes up at the top of the screen online. Or other apps it'll say available or it'll say last seen. Whenever Peter went up on that rooftop to pray, a big old green stripe appeared above his head saying, online, available. He put himself in a place where he could hear God. Does your banner over your head say, available, online, or does it say, last seen a number of weeks ago? Because every time we go to pray, we are putting ourselves in a position where God can speak. We are placing ourselves like Isaiah before him and saying, here I am. Here I am. And there are times you go to prayer and you maybe don't hear God speak in a particular way. And then the other times you go completely non-expectant, which is not a good posture. And you start praying and you start reading his word and boom, you just feel him drop something into your heart. But you've got to make yourself available. And in our busy lives, that can be hard to do. In Acts chapter 12, as I mentioned, the church was praying for Peter. In Acts chapter 13, look at the start of Acts 13. Describes something that happened in the church at Antioch. 
It says in verse 2 of Acts chapter 13, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The church had set aside time to worship God, to fast, which we'll talk about in a minute, brace yourself, and to pray. And in that context, God spoke and gave them directions. Paul, Barnabas, send them there. In Acts chapter 16, whenever Paul and Silas are in prison, we know that they were singing and we always emphasize the fact that they were singing. But when you read Acts chapter 16, it said they were singing and praying. They were singing and praying. And there was an earthquake and they were released from prison. There's a fantastic little story in First Chronicles chapter 14 where David has gone and fought the Philistines. They come and they raid this valley and he goes and he prays and he says, God, will I attack them? And God says, yes, attack them. You will overcome them. And he goes and he attacks them. And the very next verse says, sometimes later, the Philistines raided the valley again. Now, I don't know what you would do. I would instinctively probably think, well, this happened before. God told me to go and sort them out. I went and sorted them out and it was all good. But David doesn't do that. David inquires of the Lord again. Exactly the same scenario, but he doesn't just blindly rush into it and say, I know what happens here. We've done this before. He says, no, I can imagine him going to his military commanders who are just chomping at the bit saying, let's go whip some Philistines. God will be with us. It'll be great fun. And David's saying, no, fellas, you just slow down a bit. You just slow down a bit. I need to hear God. I need fresh instructions. I'm not going to move on presumption because it worked last time. We have a friend, Linda and I, and maybe one or two others here know him, a guy called Gary Anderson, who is the pastor of church at Listenadil that we were at for 14 years, and still we have such a good friendship with him, and he calls in with us and wants to know what's going on. And Gary likes to tell stories. Where's Charlene? Isn't that right? Gary likes to tell stories. <laughs> All preachers do. And uh, once you've been around for a while, you hear the stories <laughs> frequently. But there's one thing that is common to nearly all of the stories he tells. He starts off setting the background for the story. Just talking about this person and that person, and I was in work and this and that and whatever. And then he has this look that he gives you. He makes eye contact, his tone changes, and he says, the words, but we began to pray. Over and over again, that is so common to the stories that the man tells. And then that's the hinge of the story, and then he tells you the conclusion. But the whole center is, we began to pray. At the start, I read about how Herod had killed James. How Herod had put Peter in prison, but the church prayed. And there's a continuation to this, and this is actually in, in biblical literature and in literature of the time. This is called a chiasm, if any of you like studying and understanding the way 
patterns are laid out in the Bible frequently. And what a chiasm is, is you start from one place, you move to a central hinge, and then you move back from it again. And you've got this pattern of repeating before and after the central hinge. Let me show you. Herod killed James. Herod put Peter in prison. But the church prayed. God walked Peter out of prison. God killed Herod. And the hinge, the center of the whole thing is that phrase. I want you to get that written on the backs of your eyelids. I want you to get that into your thinking. I want you to get it into your psyche. I want you to have it as something just banging around your head for table. But the church prayed. And look at the turnaround. Old Herod killed James. God killed Herod. With worms. And you read about the word of God multiplying after that. Old Herod put Peter in prison. God walked him out again. But that middle bit. That's the clincher. Without me you can do nothing. I wonder what blanks we could fill in. I wonder what blanks we could fill in. We can see what the story was for Peter and for the early church. But what, what blanks could we fill in and what stories could we write even in the year ahead? What stories could we write? What, what do you want to put in there where the question marks are? Teenagers were roaming the streets and getting involved in all sorts of mischief and their lives were on a trajectory downwards. But the church prayed. Hmm? Marriages were falling apart. Families were being destroyed. Children were, were getting scarred at a young age. But the church prayed. Businesses were failing. Shops were closing. Employment was going down. The economy was suffering locally. But the church prayed. And things turned around. Depression was common and suicide was in the minds of many people. But the church prayed. Hey? Do you believe it? Do you believe that this can be a hinge? Because without that we can do nothing. And I will annoy you and sicken you and drive you mad. Because I will always be poking and saying, have we prayed? Have we prayed? I want you to do that. And I want you to do it with bells on. And I want, you to, I want to resource you and help you to do it. And encourage you and stand and to, and to celebrate your victories. Have you prayed? <laughs> Have you prayed? The church prayed. Have we even begun to pray the way God wants us to about this town? I want to call you to 21 days of prayer and fasting. You're really scared right now. Numbers have gone up a bit over the summer. They're about to go down. <laughs> 21 days of prayer and fasting. Because we have, talked, we, we have talked about so many things that are in so many hearts. I want to just char it all in prayer. I want to get into that prayer room and seek God for this time. I want to pray together. I'm not going to put burdens upon you. I'm throwing out an invitation. 
to take 21 days and set them aside for prayer and fasting. What does fasting do? In a word, fasting humbles the soul. David wrote in Psalm 35, I humbled my soul with fasting. And God says that when his people humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, then he hears them, he forgives them, and he heals their land. And that's what we want. But I believe there's a humbling of yourself in prayer in order for him to do that. One of the things that I, I prayed after Monday night, I was sitting in here one evening during the week and I was saying, God, how do, I, how do I pray in response to that? And I felt him say, you pray, Lord, send workers into the harvest. From all over, not just from here. Lord, send workers into the harvest. A little bit of advice if you've never fasted before. I'll not give you, well, I will give you the advice that I got last night from Ashley. He says we should have a weigh-in every week, like a boxing match. We should have a set of scales at the front of the church and climb on and see that that's not what we're going to do. Um, If you've never fasted before, be careful. Okay, if you've got a history with, a bad history with food, if eating disorders are an issue, don't. If you work manual heavy labor and do a lot of driving or work in machinery, it would be an idea not to do a total fast. And nobody's fasting for 21 days, just in case you're confused. But you could maybe fast one day a week. You could maybe fast one evening or two or three evenings a week after you've done your day's work and had your breakfast and had your lunch, come home, skip dinner and seek God. You might want to do what's called a partial fast where you're cutting out certain things. For some of you, turning the television off, that's not biblical fasting, obviously, but biblical fasting always involved food. But turning the television off for 21 days would be tougher than staying off food for a while. But I want you to, I want you to humble yourself before God. In whatever way is comfortable and safe and sensible for you. Could be partial. Could be occasional total fast. Could be one day a week. Could be two days a week. And pray. For three weeks. Get into the prayer room. And seek him. Grab two or three other people and get in there and seek him together because the corporate prayer in Acts particularly unlocked the power of God. If Tuesday night doesn't work for you to come for corporate prayer, start another prayer meeting. (laughs) Or just say, right, for example, person A and person B work on a Tuesday night but their home is open for one hour on a Wednesday night if anybody wants to join them for prayer. Eight o'clock to nine o'clock and then get out and leave them alone so they can rest. But start being a wee bit more imaginative and a wee bit more just how can we increase the corporate prayer of this place? Because without him, we can do nothing. You might change somebody's life by praying. There may be somebody in the town or somebody within the realm of this ministry whose life is hanging on the brink and you'll be able to write a story that you might not hear 
until you see Jesus. But the story might be such and such a person was contemplating such and such grim action. But the church prayed. This is big stuff, folks. This is not small beans. This is big. And when we're praying together, one wee pointer for for corporate prayer, when we're praying together, please do not play hungry hippos in the prayer meeting. Because that's frequently what a corporate prayer meeting is like. We sit down, we sometimes throw a few things into the middle, and they're like the little white balls in hungry hippos, and then we start to pray, and it's just like, you know, everybody's grabbing as many things as they can and praying for all of them, and then they sit back and think, I've done my bit. Don't do that. Pray for one thing and then be quiet. And then 10 minutes later, pray for something else. And then 10 minutes later, pray for something else. And keep the thing moving. Keep people awake. Keep it going. Keep it alive. Don't just grab everything and try to tick every box. I was watching a movie a couple of weeks ago. Um, by, by talking about this scene, I'm not ruining the plot because there wasn't really a plot. Um, it's a film called The Magnificent Seven. It's a remake of a, of a great old western. And this, this image just lodged in my mind regarding prayer as I've thought about it this last couple of weeks. In the scene, I was going to play it for you, but there's, there's a wee bit of gunfire in it and thought the wee ones might, might not like it. So this, this is one of the good guys. This is one of the Magnificent Seven. And he has just been shot several times and definitely is not going to make it. He's been riding out of town to face this little band of about 10 enemies he rides towards them on the horse and he gets shot when he's on the horse and he falls off and he gets up and walks and he gets shot again. And at this point, he's on his knees on the ground and he is definitely not going to survive. And he pulls a cigar out of his pocket and puts it in his mouth. And he gets a box of matches and he starts trying to strike a match. But he can't do it. He's too weak and the match keeps breaking. All he wants to do is get his cigar lit and have a wee puff on his cigar before he passes away. And one of, the, one of the bad guys comes over, strikes a match and lights his cigar for him and then steps back and points the gun at his head. And at that point, our boy, our good guy, falls over on the ground. He just falls forward on his knees with his head on the ground, dead. And the bad guy puts the gun back in the pocket and walks away. But then our boy lifts his head again. And he's got a stick of dynamite in his hand. That's why he wanted the cigar lit. That's why he wanted the match lit. To get the dynamite lit. And he chucks the dynamite into the middle of them. And boom. And I just got this picture in my mind of somebody on their knees. Coming up with dynamite. That is not authorized, Jacob. (laughs) Jacob, Jacob, that's so expensive. (laughs) Can somebody? Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. That's the scariest thing that's ever happened. (laughs) Yeah. As we finish, 
Can you just settle yourself and remember that to clasp the hand in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world? And sorry for using terms that might be too passionate for some of you, but I want to start an uprising. I want to start a revolution. I want to start a war. And fight and fight and fight and fight. And the enemy may leave you for dead. The enemy may wound you and leave you in a heap on the ground and think he's not worth worrying about. She's not worth worrying about. I've hit that person so many times that they're not going to come back up again. And then up you come with dynamite. Dynamite. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that you are calling us and you are inviting us to seek your face. Thank you, Father, that you are building your church. Thank you that you are rallying the troops. Thank you that you are giving ideas to people and you're giving them a hunger and a heart and a desire to serve you and to reach people with the good news that the kingdom of God has come. And Father, I ask you this morning that you'll stir the hearts of this people, that you will show them how they can humble themselves and take on this responsibility together to get before you and to ask for your Holy Spirit to fall on us, to empower us to be your witnesses in this world. Father, I pray that that little prayer room will be chock-a-block for the next three weeks. I pray that there'll be a fire lit that will not go out after 21 days, but that will stay lit. I pray, God, that we will go down wounded, that we will go down weak, and that we will rise up with dynamite. Build your church, Lord. Without you, we can do nothing. And we want fruit that will last. We don't want a whole fizzle that's gone in a year, two years, or five years. We want fruit that will last. Lives transformed for the rest of their lives and transforming others. So come Holy Spirit and stir us and awaken us and recalibrate us and recenter us to seek your face. Amen.